Would you take your scriptures, turn with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts 10, we'll be reading the entire chapter, verses 1 through 48. Acts 10, would you give ear to the reading of God's word? There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, they went on their journey and drew near the city. Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he began, became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter threw thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then they invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation? But God has shown me that I should not call any man uncommon or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, 
four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and became, began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water? that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us your word, as you did with Peter and Cornelius, to show us how your grace and mercy works in this world. You have written your word to those who believe in the name of your Son so that they may know that they have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching you, O Lord, that if we ask anything according to your will, you will hear us. Your word is our guide. Open our hearts to hear from your word and grow in our knowledge of you and this wonderful gospel you have given us. We thank you in Christ's name for your grace. Amen. In this passage from Acts 10, we learn of a man named Cornelius. This man was a Gentile. He was a, a Roman centurion of the Italian regiment. He was a man who honored God, the God of the Jews, and paid alms to him on a regular basis. An angel of the Lord came to him, and he acknowledged that God saw his heart and his words. He told him to send for the man Simon Peter and he would have be told what he should do. Peter gave a, given a vision to prepare him for what he was to say. He receives the men Cornelius sent and he goes with them. Peter arrives 
He speaks to the first recorded group of Gentiles to ask about the gospel of Jesus Christ since the resurrection. As Peter begins to preach and tells them that God shows no favoritism but accepts men from every nation, language, group, and tribe on the face of this earth. Men who fear God. Men who show him the proper respect as the creator God. The fear we are speaking about today, this is not the fear of someone cowering in the corner. It's one who is showing a proper respect to this one who is greater and more powerful than themselves. It's like the fear of a child has for his father. The natural respect for one in authority over you. Peter goes on to explain that this message of God is one of peace obtained by the works of Jesus Christ. He tells us he and the other disciples were eyewitnesses to these works of Jesus Christ. He shows Christ is taken by those who did not fear God and were hanged upon and he was hanged upon a tree. He died then was raised from the dead. He explains that he and the other disciples saw him after his resurrection. He commanded them to go and preach this wonderful good news to a lost and dying world. They were told to go into all the world and to teach that Christ was the only source of eternal life. That all who would hear and believe would be saved. All that would hear and believe would would not hear and believe, would face judgment and a eternity in hell. As he chooses this statement, or closes this statement, he says all the prophets have testified to these very truths. So Peter wants you to know, this gospel message, this message has been hidden in the Old Testament from the very beginning of the time of man on earth. He makes it clear All who come in the fear of the Lord believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and will be saved through his name. Salvation comes from Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. This morning, I want you to look with me at this idea of the fear of God. We shall take our message from the book of Proverbs as we've been doing. First, we will note the fear of the Lord is the basis of true life. Second, we shall observe that the fear of the Lord is manifested by a holy life. Third, we will find the fear of God increases through our discovery of God's truth. Fourth, we will discover that refusing to fear God brings trouble and judgment. Let me begin with a question. What is life supposed to be? You ever thought about that before? What is life supposed to be? The best answer to that question is what God intended it to be at the time of creation. The Shorter Catechism in question one asks the same thing this way. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, how do we do that? We do it through what God intended us to be his children. To live as his children requires us to honor, requires us to respect him as our heavenly father. Therefore, we can see that the fear of the Lord is the basis of true life. There are three solid reasons for saying this. 
The first reason is because the fear of the Lord of which we speak produces in us a refreshing spiritual life. Doesn't that sound wonderful? A refreshing spiritual life. Doesn't that something you really want? Let's examine the source of this refreshing spiritual life. Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, a fountain to turn one away from the snares of death. What a wonderful, what a divine principle. It's refreshing because from it comes our life of abundance, whether it's temporal, spiritual, or eternal. We see it as the influence of the Holy Comforter. He's the fountain, as John 4.14 says, springing up into eternal life. Always. Always when we speak of eternal life, we also speak of sin and death. Man has been lost in sin, and Paul reminds us in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. God, in his infinite mercy, in his grace, has seen man's plight, and he has taken mercy on him. He has promised to give a new heart, so man might believe on him and fear him. Jeremiah saw this and explained in Jeremiah 32, 38-41. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me more forever for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them and to do them good, and I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. When man has been given a new heart, he is simply overwhelmed, overwhelmed by a sense of awe of this God who created him. He now understands by divine action he is the rebel and God the authority of his life. He can now, with this new heart, bow his knee before God and lovingly respect this one that has twice given him life. The fear of the Lord brings with it a refreshing new spiritual life. The second reason the fear of the Lord is the basis of true life comes from the fact that this fear of God is the foundation of wisdom and knowledge. Proverbs 9, verses 10 and 11. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. We find the perfect example of the fear of the Lord in the humanity of Jesus Christ. We should let that be the test. That should be our test. It comes from our predestination to be conformed to his image as Romans 8.29 says for that is the genuine spirit of adoption the child of God the child of God should only have one dread one dread alone that of offending his heavenly father he should also have only one desire one desire in his heart to please and delight his heavenly father. Do you have that? Do you have that in your heart? Are you really looking at that every day? 
Are you thinking about that every day? How can I please my father? How can I stop offending him? That should be something we all look at. That is the very soul, the very soul of this idea of the fear of the Lord. Please understand, the heart that is touched with the weight of divine love trembles with godly fear. It is ever quick to search out its true motives and to compare them to God's word. It is ever seeking to grow in the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Proverbs 15, 33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. He who fears the Lord. He's the one who is going to grow in wisdom. And that wisdom in turn makes him humble and brings him honor before his God. The last reason the fear of the Lord is the basis of life comes from the things it produces in the life of those who hold to it. There are four things, four things that must be present in a life before it can be classified as a worthwhile life. These four things can only be developed by a healthy fear of God. First is happiness and contentment. Proverbs 28, 14. Happy is the man who is always reverent, but who hardens his heart, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. The word happy in Hebrew means blessed or bliss. So the man that wants a happy life, he's got to seek it from God. You can't find happiness apart from your creator. It's impossible. Happiness will begin in your life with your confession of sin and will grow with your trust of Christ for the forgiveness of those sins. The answer to the first catechism question, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, is exactly the meaning of happiness. Couldn't be said better. You are doing exactly what God created you to do, seeking him and fulfilling it in your life. The only way to do that is to hear the gospel message and to believe it with all of your heart. Cornelius is a good example of that. Look at him. He honored God with his life. Through his great, great generous giving and obeyed the angel, he was led to the gospel. The world's idea of happiness comes from how much they have. They want more. I don't care how much they got, they still want more because they're trying to gain the feeling of happiness from what they get. And it's a false sense. Not with God. You don't do it that way with God. Proverbs 15, 16. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Great wealth in this life only produces greater desire for more and more. True happiness comes in a secure position and true contentment comes from the knowledge of the foundation upon which that happiness is built. Once happiness and contentment are in the heart, then the fear of the Lord produces peace and security. Peter explains in Acts 10, 34 and 35. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. 
happiness and contentment will never last long without the underlining of peace and security. It also it is also the fear of the Lord that produces peace and security in the hearts of believers. Proverbs 19:23. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. Wow. What a promise. I don't want any of you getting confused here. I don't want you getting the wrong idea. The New Testament makes it very clear all believers will share in Christ's suffering. Strange. In other words, you will come under attack from the evil one and you will suffer persecution at the hands of men. This idea that you will not be visited with evil means that evil will never overcome you. You may have to fight against it, but you will rise above it to the glories of a heavenly home. Isn't that wonderful? Romans 16, 20. Let me say first, you can overthrow the evil one only by believing in Jesus Christ and trusting in him. Now, can I prove that from Scripture? I believe I can. Romans 16, 20. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. God's going to crush Satan. How's he going to do it? He's going to do it with you. You're going to crush Satan. The fear of the Lord, the respect and the trust of God's word and the wisdom it imparts will be your underlying security and the only source of your peace. Martin Luther wrote that glorious hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He wrote it while being held in a castle at Worms for his protection because the Pope wanted to kill him. He knew. He knew it was not the ramparts of that castle that protected him. He knew it was God and God himself. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. Look at the promise. Not only does it protect you, but it affords protection to your children as well. What peace and security you're given in this mighty God you serve. Not only are you given handy happiness and, and contentment, peace and security through the fear of the Lord, but it also promises you physical well-being. Proverbs 3, verses 7 and 8. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. The man that thinks he can save himself, and that's something we see a lot of, Unfortunately, that man has already suffered a fate worse than death. He's cut off, cut off by his own hardness of heart from his God. The man that loves himself is a man that loves sin and seeks it out. That's what he wants because he's so self-centered. Where God is feared and honored in, his, in the heart Sin is hated, loathed, and resisted. Yes, sin still lives in the believer, clinging to the old flesh, but it is condemned. It's condemned by the believer himself 
for his heart has fled from it. This fleeing from sin through self-denial and godly discipline is indeed health to the body. Proverbs 10, 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. For those who will hear and believe the words of God, life is guaranteed and it's guaranteed for an eternity. For all those who refuse to hear and believe, they are already dead. They're already condemned to hell for eternity. The last benefit accruing to those who fear the Lord are material blessings and honor. In the Old Testament, the believer was promised prosperity for his faithfulness. You read through the Old Testament, it's those who who bless God, they're prosper. They're given a lot. Job, Abraham, David, you name them. They had a lot. In the New Testament, the believers promised in this lifetime persecution for his faithfulness. Please, let's don't be confused here. The Old Testament gives us a picture. It's a picture of what is to come. While the New Testament fleshes out that understanding. The Old Testament idea of prosperity is simply a shadow. It's a shadow of the glory to come in eternity. Proverbs 22, 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. For the man who seeks to please his God, there are many rewards. It may not always be money. But you can be assured, whatever it is, it will bring happiness and contentment, peace and security, well-being and blessing beyond compare in this life and the next. The fear of the Lord is a powerful doctrine. And as you can see, it undergirds and strengthens the man of God. It gives to him all the essential elements of life. Along with this foundation comes the opportunity to build a holy life. Isn't that what every believer wants? It's a holy life. A life filled with love and contentment. Filled with the glories of God. Filled with the opportunities to serve him. And to be his witness in this world. It's the fear of the Lord that manifests this life in the believer. It is the fear of the Lord that builds the upright conduct of the believer. Proverbs 14, 2. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is perverse in his ways despises him. Those that have been given a new heart, those that have believed on the one sent from heaven to reveal God, are the very ones who have a healthy fear of the Lord. Through that fear, they dread displeasing their God. So they work hard. They work hard at living their lives according to his word. When they fail and all will, they turn to God with a broken and contrite heart and cry out to him. Because of their broken heart, he hears them and forgives them, cleanses them of all of their unrighteousness. This is a daily activity, my friends. This isn't going on just once in a while. This is every day. Because we fail every day. But Jesus Christ is there. He is staying with us. He will not leave nor forsake us. He's going to carry us through. He 
The fear of God produces an upright conduct in the life of those who have it. It also brings about a separation from evil. Proverbs 8.13 The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. Once you see yourself, you see yourself in the light of a holy God, you begin to immediately understand how sinful you truly are. You see God's holiness and you begin to hate evil. Pride and arrogance appear to you as blackness against a pure white background. You start to mourn over your evil behavior and your tongue begins to cling to the roof of your mouth because of the perverseness of speech. The wisdom of Proverbs 14.6 becomes clear. A wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. The wise man loves his God. He wants with all of his heart to please him. He seeks to know. He seeks to understand the truth of God's word. The fool cares not to please anyone but himself. And his his anger flares at whoever tries to stand in his way. Proverbs 16, 6. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity, and by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then you can't avoid evil, and you will not escape the punishment of your evil ways. There's only one way, only one way to avoid evil and punishment. And that's through belief and trust in Jesus Christ. Believing and trusting in Christ and Christ alone. Not Christ in your work, not Christ in your church, but Christ and Christ alone. In Acts 10, verses 42 through 43, Peter declares, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. As the fear of the Lord works in the life of a believer, producing upright conduct and separation from evil, another effect is seen. A separation from the wrong kinds of people. Now this one can really get hit at home. Proverbs 24, 21 through 22. My son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate with those given to change, for their calamity will arise suddenly, and who knows the ruin those two can bring. As you bring the fear of the Lord, you also learn respect for all authority. Now this is important, especially in the day and time we're living. The person who respects no authority is an evil person. The man that does not respect his government, the woman who does not respect her husband, the children who will not listen to their parents are all evil. God says we're to submit. And we're to submit to those proper authorities in our lives because he has placed them there. The Christian is to flee from those who are rebellious. God promises to come down hard on all who disobey his law. The only way you can avoid his wrath is to submit unto his son, Jesus Christ. Proverbs 23, 17 through 18. Do not let your heart envy sinners, 
But be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the days, for surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. Don't envy the wicked man. Be zealous, and be zealous for the fear of the Lord. In other words, respect and submit unto him and unto his law. For my friends, there is no other way, no other way to have hope than to have hope in Jesus Christ. If you're trusting in Christ, if you're doing your best to live an obedient life, your hope can never be taken away from you. And again, isn't that a wonderful thought? Listen, we need to be Christians. We need to be looking to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for everything in our lives. He is the source of our life, of our eternal life. You're trusting in Christ. You're doing your best. That's what we need, obedience to Christ. How can you increase the fear of the Lord so you can be assured of having all these wonderful things in your life? Well, I'm glad you asked, for I really wanted to answer that for you. We will, we will find the answer in the passage we have looked at several times. Proverbs 2, 1 through 2, and verse 5. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and you apply your heart to understanding, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The great commission of the church is to carry the gospel to all the world. And what are you supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be teaching them everything Christ has taught you. Here we are told, any who will turn their ear to hear and will apply their hearts to believe will come to an understanding of the fear of the Lord and will find the knowledge of God. As you study God's word and learn of him, Learn how he created all things out of nothing. How he hung the moon and the stars on nothing. How he made man and provided him with everything he needed to survive. With all this information, you will begin to grow in your love and respect of this wonderful God. As that love and respect grows, so will your discovery of God's truth. You will also learn of his character that he is sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, immutable, loving, and holy. As you grow in your knowledge of his character, you will begin to understand how terrible it is to refuse to believe what he has revealed of himself in the Scripture. You'll begin to see that to refuse to fear the Lord brings trouble and judgment. Proverbs 1, verses 28 through 32. Then they will call me, and I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel and despise my earth every rebuke. Therefore, they will eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. This passage clearly tells us these people had a choice and they chose to hate God. 
They refused to hear his most gracious call. They thumbed their noses at him, if you will. Because of the hardness of their own hearts, they will suffer a quick and just punishment. They shall die in their sins and shall be condemned to an eternity in hell apart from God. No man. No man can afford to turn his back on the wonderful offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. But many will. They'll do just that. Why? Because they think they're as good as God himself. All who refuse to hear and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're already condemned. Cornelius was the exact opposite. He feared God. He was generous and caring. He was obedient and listened. He heard and believed the gospel and found eternal life. In conclusion, you don't need to be one of those who are condemned. Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life. He died on Calvary's cross for all who would hear and believe. Those who hear and choose to believe are those in whom the fear of God begins to grow. Once that fear takes root, your life to grow in understanding of this marvelous grace. If you have never been, if you have never believed, and I ask you to listen closely, I ask you to choose to believe in the one sent from heaven. Believe in Jesus Christ. The gospel makes it clear. Jesus Christ came into this world. He came that men from every nation, language, and tribe might find peace with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to do for you what you could never do. God opened life to you through Jesus and by Christ's sacrifice paid the price for your rebellion you could never pay. He then defeated the grave and death. He set free all who would place their faith and hope in him and in him alone. He made it possible. Possible that any man could live in the fear of the Lord and find the peace they were created to live in. Please, my friend, open your heart. Hear this message. Jesus Christ was sent in this world to do for you what you could never do. He lived the perfect life. He died the atoning death. He won the resurrection victory. And it is through him and through him alone that you can enter into the gates of heaven. Do not turn a cold ear to him. Open your heart and believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time of worship and fellowship. We need to learn to fear you. It is only through respect of you that we can grow in our assurance of our salvation. Help us to grow in love. Give us patience and kindness. Help us to not envy, boast, or be proud. Keep us from rudeness and help us not to be self-seeking. Grant that we not be easily angered and keep no record of wrongs. Don't allow us to delight in evil but rejoice in truth. May we protect, trust, hope, and persevere in love for one another. This will show our fear of our Lord and our love to others. We pray this in our Lord and Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.